Thank you, Tracy. Good morning, City Light. It is so, so good to be with you guys this morning. Um, I'm excited for two reasons. Reason number one, it has been since February that I have been able to preach in front of a live congregation. And as a preacher, it kind of drains you when you don't have people face-to-face that you can preach to. So I'm excited about this this morning. Uh, Secondly, I'm just excited to be back. Um, I first got to come down here before um, you guys launched uh, for one prayer night, and then I was sent to City Lake Kansas City to help plant that, Um, and things have changed just a little bit since those prayer nights. Uh, I can't tell you how incredible it is to see what God has done the lives that have changed, the stories that have been rewritten, um, the hope that has given, uh, that has been given to people and the hope that continues to go forward. Um, and he's still write, rewriting new stories. It's absolutely incredible. So to be back and see um, just the prayers that have been answered has been amazing. So, so quickly about me, Jesus saved me at a very early age, about the age of five. But while I had all of him, he did not have all of me yet. Um, he saved me and is continuing to save me from my selfishness, from having a hard heart towards people, and he keeps uh, saving me from having my own plans in life. Um, and he's called me from my own plans to a life of investing in people, and I am completely sold out for him now. Like Tracy said, I'm originally from Pennsylvania, not Ohio. I uh, went to school in New York. I went to uh, spend time in Omaha for a year with City Light Omaha. Then I went to City Light County Bluffs for a year. And then I went to City Light Kansas City, and I've been there for two years. And Jesus continues to rewrite my story in a way better way than I ever could have written it. In part because I got to marry my beautiful queen, Sarah, two months ago. And no, if you're wondering, having our wedding season in a pandemic, thank you. No, having our wedding season in a pandemic is not what we dreamed of, but Jesus is still good. We were able to have a small little ceremony. My family was able to drive out for that from Pennsylvania, and we have a ho- the hopes of a larger celebration down the road. But before I married my wife, we took premarital counseling. And it, premarital counseling just provided us an opportunity to have open, honest conversations prior to marriage about real-life topics with the, someone, with the help of someone who had experience. However, there was one thing that I was not warned about that was not covered in premarital counseling, and that was the steep, steep learning curve when it comes to sleeping in the same bed with another person. It was not talked about at all. Nighttime is my prime time. I come alive at night. Sarah, on the other hand, goes to bed at a nice early age, uh, nice early time, 9.30, you know, average, she goes to bed early, and she rises early. And I'm wide awake in bed. I have a thousand thoughts going through my head. So that's one reason that it's different. Two, there have been territory wars in our sleep over space and blanket possession. And that has led to many restless nights and tossing and turning. All this to say, there have been sleepless nights trying to figure this whole marriage thing out. Now, in your life, it may not be because of shared space, but I don't think I'm the only one that struggles with getting restful sleep at night. And I'd venture to guess, also like me, 
there are more prominent causes to sleepless nights that we experience. In today's passage, this restlessness is what David is talking about. That is what Psalm 4 is talking about. If you haven't, go ahead and open up to Psalm 4, and I want to set the stage a little bit this morning. The psalm is written by King David. He's been king now for about 20 years. And before David became king, he was running from uh, King Saul. King Saul was jealous of him, viewed him as a threat, and wanted David dead. Now, David is king, and now his own son proclaims himself as king, conspires against him, and also wants him dead. His own son. Now, as the threat grows, the numbers against him grow, and his name is tainted more and more and more. So, what does David do? David flees home and runs for his life. Things are not going quite well for David. He's not on the throne of his rightful kingdom, and his own son wants him dead, and he's on the run. That is where we find David. That is where this psalm comes from. If you're interested in that story at all, you can find it in 1 and 2 Samuel. It's a great book, amazing to see David and how his life points to Jesus. But for this morning, I want to focus on this psalm. Most of us, as the day comes to a close, as he lies in his bed, he has a lot going on through his head. Worry, accusations, unresolved relationships, Stress, all of it begins to flood his mind. The stress and the accusations must have kept David up at night. Stuff like, you're a sham, David. You were a lousy, lousy king. Remember what you did in the past with Bathsheba? Remember when you slept with her? Even your own son hates you. I think a lot of us have those same voices of accusations that we have, and we deal with them at night. I don't know what they sound like to you, but I know I deal with them. How can you lead people when you are such a wreck yourself? You barely pray today. What if everybody in your congregation prayed like you did? If people knew the real you, they would reject you. Any of those sound familiar to you? Now, as a kid, I slept with a nightlight on. There's just something about the dark that was scary. And the nightlight provides just a little bit of security when the door closes, when all is quiet, and you're all alone. I think a lot of us were scared um, of nighttime as a kid. But I wonder now as adults, how much has actually changed? As the day winds down, it's quiet, it's dark, we're alone with our thoughts. You may not be scared of the monsters on your bed or in your closet anymore, but maybe you're scared of all of those accusations. You didn't get enough accomplished today. You don't have enough money to survive. You aren't good enough. Life, your life is beyond repair. Nobody really likes you. You're not making a difference in the world. And all of it culminates at the end of the day in the quiet when the only thing that you desire is rest. If you can relate to where David is mentally, emotionally, and physically at the end of his day, hear me. There is good news this morning. David shows us the secret to a good night's sleep and rest. The two things that I want to see in David's example, what he cries out to God, 
is that we should stand confidently in our identity so that we can sleep peacefully in God's provision. Stand, stand in confidence to sleep in peace. Read with me verse 1 through 3. It says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. David's response to his restlessness, the stress, is going to God. He stands confidently in who God is and his identity under God. He says, yes, my situation is bad, but who I am in God's eyes has not changed one bit. I can still rely on the God who saved me in the past, who set me apart from everybody now, and what he wants to do with me in the future. Now, like I said, April 18th, I married Sarah. And there was a part in the ceremony where Eric asked, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And her dad responded, her mother and I. And when that happened, an exchange took place. I stepped up, I gave him a big old hug, and I took his place next to Sarah. I guided her up the stairs, and we stood hand in hand, arm in arm, before our pastor. We laughed, and we cried our whole way through the ceremony. And at the end of that ceremony, Pastor Eric closed it by saying, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And then all six members of our audience stood and celebrated the new Mr. and Mrs. Keller. And that day... That time, Sarah had been transformed. Not because she wasn't the same person anymore, but because she had a new identity now. Once she was presented by her father, she came under a new authority. She entered into a new relationship with me. She no longer finds herself under the responsibility of her dad. I lovingly, humbly, and sacrificially overrule her dad's influence for one reason alone, because she transferred identities. She now stands tall most of the time in her identity as a Keller. And the Bible says, when you first believed, you yourself transferred your identity to Christ. And everything you do in life is out of a response of who you are, who God says you are. So when the flesh starts telling you what to do, what to think, what to feel, and all the things you are lacking in life, you are supposed to respond, I'm wearing a new ring. I have a new name. I belong to God now, and I believe what he says about me, not what I believe about myself, not about what others believe about me, what he says. I respond to him now. And when you stand confidently in your identity in Jesus, it means two things for you. First, it means you are free. You are free from accusation and condemnation. The voices of other people accusing you and condemning you and your own voice of condemnation. 
hear me, God made the call on your life. God himself made the call on your life. He says, I want you. I've given you a new name. I will take care of you. I'm going to use your bad, crappy situation for good. And it's all possible because of the work of Jesus dying for you. You are free to live in your new identity. No bad situation, no failure, no wrong action can take it away from you. Rest in him. Firstly, it means you are free. Secondly, it means you are heard. It means you are heard. David cries out to God because he knew that God hears him, that God always hears him. When your identity is found in Jesus, God responds to your prayers. I'm going to ask you this morning, do you know that God cares about you? Do you know that? Do you know that he wants you to talk to him about all of your thoughts and all of your feelings? Do you know that he actually listens to you and he answers your prayers according to what is best for you? He cares about you. He's interested in more than just the highlights of your life. He cares about the hard, lowly times as well. Throughout Jesus' time on earth, he was, in, he was interested in the specifics of people's lives. He had the huge task of saving the lost people, of bridging the gap between God and man, but he still took the time to meet immediate needs of the people that he encountered. One time, Jesus fed 5,000 hungry men, women, and children. It blows my mind. One meal in the lives of so many is one small, minute detail. But in this amazing story, we see his care to provide a simple meal. One simple meal in the lives of all of those people. He cares. And he gave us emotions. He gave us feelings um, to care deeply about the things that he himself cares about. So what David does is instead of distracting himself from the stress and anxiety of what he's feeling, he acknowledged the elephants that were in his soul. And he pressed in. City Light, this morning, would we be a people who return to Jesus time and time and time again rather than check out in our anxiety and in our stress. Instead of distracting himself from the reality of life, David intentionally returns to God and calls out to him for help. David could have easily just gone to bed without pressing in and talking to God. He could have easily just replayed the situation over and over and over in his head. And he could have just tried to sleep it off and tried to forget about the whole thing. I want you to think this morning about what you use to distract yourself from the stress of life and going to God. I think if David were in our day and age, he could have binge-watched a TV show to distract himself. He could have put in some more hours of work. He could have had a phone and social media to scroll mindlessly to distract him. He could have had friends to hang out with, parties to go to, substances to distract himself from the stress. Guys, I know our days are long. They're full of work, full of activities and spent energy, but we cannot, we cannot distract ourselves 
from the stress. We need to press in and intentionally set aside time to return to God and process our hurts, our habits, and our hangups with our Savior. Here's what I think this looks like. Three simple things that we can do. First one is practice mindfulness. Just practicing mindfulness just helps us realign our hearts and our minds to what God wants to do with our situations. Where do you focus best? Is it nestled up in your kitchen with a cup of coffee? Is it going for a run, listening to worship music? Find something that makes you feel close to God and focus your mind on Him there. Maybe that's when you're trying to sleep. Maybe that's earlier in the day before you start your day. Just take five to ten minutes. Visualize every worry, every responsibility, every accusation that's being thrown your way. Everything that's going through your head and give each and every one to Jesus in prayer. If it helps, write them down. He knows all the same. Spend time with Jesus, focusing your mind on him. Secondly, meditate on scripture. All scripture is created by God. When you read or listen to the Bible and you reflect on what it says, you learn to recognize God's voice in your life. At the end of the day, when you just are longing for rest, open your Bible and focus on being with Jesus. Earlier in the day, set aside 15 minutes to read or listen to God's words to you, not anybody else, specifically to you. Turn off the phone, forget about the to-do list, forget about other people in your life, and just spend time with your Savior. Try a Bible reading plan, take notes, journal your thoughts, just let God speak to you in that time. And thirdly, press in with community. Be with community. Being with, uh, I'm sorry, pressing with God does not mean shutting yourself off from other people. Actually, sometimes it means spending time with other people, opening your schedule and creating more space for other people to speak in. We can find godly rest in celebrating life with other people. We are not made to do life alone. We need each other. So if you haven't, let me call. Join a city group. Fill out one of the connection cards. We'd love to get you into a city group. They are absolutely life-changing. There are people who need to hear your voice in their lives. And there's other people who you need to hear their voice. Let me get that right. You need to hear your voice in their lives, their voice in your life. You need to hear other people's voice speaking into your life. It may sound counterintuitive to rest, but it is not. I challenge you to spend a couple hours each and every week investing in other people and having them invest in you. Don't set an agenda. Just show up and enjoy spending time enjoying one another's company. And afterwards, maybe write down something that God showed you during your time together. I pray against whatever fears that you may have against opening up and being vulnerable with somebody or with even God. When life is crippling, when we have questions, when we need help, when we experience loss and hurt and pain, when we sit and process with the God who cares and redeems us. Because we honestly, we have nowhere else to turn than the God who is faithful yesterday, today, and forever, and gives us a new identity. So David stands confidently in his identity and returns to God at the end of his day. But at the same time, 
it doesn't mean that things are going to be fixed. It doesn't mean that things are going to be automatically wrapped up with a nice, neat bow. His problems and his emotions do not necessarily go away. But because David stands confidently in God, he can sleep peacefully as he rests in the safety and security of his Lord. Here is how he finishes the nighttime psalm. He says, There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. David has been freed to sleep easy at night. David notices that everyone against him wants more and more and more. More wealth, more power, more control, more approval. And they don't find their identities in God. They mock, they doubt God's goodness, and they cannot see God's glory. But David has a passionate, emotional response um, to the greatness of God that he is seeing and feeling in that moment. Instead of becoming emotionally bitter from all that he's experienced, he becomes emotionally explosive in praise to God. I want to ask you this morning. Did you know that worship isn't only for God? When you worship God, yes, it brings pleasure to God, but it also does something for you. There are benefits for us that come from being in God's presence in worship. In a, later, in a later psalm of David, Psalm 1611, he praises God saying, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. In your right hand are eternal pleasures. Worship brings joy. Being in God's presence lifts us up emotionally and brings peace to our lives. Sometimes when joy has escaped us, it's time to start worshiping. When life has crushed us, it's the time to start worshiping. When the enemy has robbed us of happiness and brought us down, it's time to start worshiping. King David ran to praise God because he knew where his joy was found. In God's presence is fullness of joy. Not just a little bit of joy, all the joy you could possibly imagine. So if you want rest, if you want to be lifted up, go to Jesus. Sing to Jesus. Say nice things about Jesus. Tell Jesus you love him. We don't find joy looking for joy. We find joy by being an environment of joy. And we have control of that. Because we know Jesus, we can create that environment of joy because we know everything that Jesus has done for us. Well-known Christian author C.S. Lewis said it this way, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. You can't live in the environment of the sun and not be hot. You can't live in an environment of the cold and not get chilly. And you can't live in the atmosphere of God and not have joy. 
David's heart is full of praise towards God, so much so that there is no room for any bitterness. There's no room for any fear, for any anxiety or hatred to dwell in his heart. His delight in God has swallowed up any selfishness, any self-pity of his situation, and any bitterness and anxiety. And I love how he uses two comparisons here, grain and wine. Grain was the main economy for the, for the Israelites at the time, and way, uh, wine was a symbol of blessing and prosperity. David is saying here, God, you give me more joy than when the economy is booming and when the wine is freely flowing. I have more joy in one ordinary day than all of my enemies get in all of their shopping sprees. That is what David is saying here. At the end of his day, lying in his bed, even in the span of just a couple minutes, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, David's attitude has completely shifted as he rests in all that God has provided him. See, like, this is the attitude I want us to come back to at the end of our stressful, hurt, broken days. This is where rest is found. Even in David's lowest time, at the end of the day, he was ready for peaceful sleep because God has put his life back together and put gladness in his heart. Everyone else is looking for more, and David has found more than enough in his Savior. And this is how to hit the stack like a believer. Have you ever thought about how crazy the concept of sleep actually is? I've been focusing on this, preparing this sermon. It's crazy to me. When God created us, he thought this crazy, unconscious state that the body goes into, we go limp in order for it to renew its energy. Some parts shut down, other parts stay active, but in the end, it's restful, and we have more energy when we wake up. The Bible says, don't you know he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? Sleep is a gift of love from God. He wants you to rest. He wants you to sleep well at night. He wants you to trust in him and not be anxious. And he made sleep as a continual reminder to rest in him. And going one step further, I think sleep is a daily reminder from God that we are not God. Read with me what Psalm 121 says. He will not let you stumble. God watches over you and will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. God never sleeps. You guys have to sleep. I have to sleep. God never sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. We can let God be God. And we can rest in all the comfort and security that he provides we were not made to worry about these things because we have to sleep at night when things can happen. God does not sleep. He takes care of us. Here's what Pastor John Piper says about sleep. Once a day, God sends us to bed like patients with a sickness. The sickness is a chronic tendency to think we are in control and that our work is indispensable. To cure us of this disease, God turns us into helpless sacks of sand once a day. 
For me, it's two or three times a day. I like my naps. The Lord stands beside you. I'm sorry. How humiliating to the self-made corporate executive that he has to give up all control and become as limp as a suckling infant each and every day. I want you to put yourself in David's shoes. I don't know where you're at this morning, but here David is saying, it's true. My circumstances are bad. Are your circumstances bad this morning? Members of his own family and trusted friends have turned against him. I don't know if you have family and friends who have turned against you, who you're quibbling with, that causes stress. But David responds that God is in control of the world. Know that this morning, that God is in control of the world. He's in control of your world. You are not in control. David says, my enemies can only do what you allow. Do you realize that God allows everything to happen for a reason? He returns to God. Do you return to God? David resolves his heart issue. He says, I'm immortal until my work here is done. He rests safely in God's arms, knowing that he can sleep soundly at night. Do you know that you can rest and sleep soundly at night in him? If David can move from conflict to comfort in the midst of his circumstances, so can we. God is committed to our welfare. Nothing can separate us from his love and his purpose in our lives. We, like David, can rest and sleep soundly at night. And when Jesus was on this earth, he made the invite to those who needed rest. He said, come to me. Don't go anywhere else. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I want, let's pray this morning. I want you to just listen to the voice of Jesus in your life. Asking, are, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out by working to earn God's favor? Are you weary of seeking man's approval? Come to me. Get away with me, and you will recover your life. Don't avoid the anxiety. Press in. I will show you how to take a real rest no matter what's going on. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Bring all your feelings. Bring all your hurt. I care about those. Bring them to me. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I'm not going to lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I want to speak to the people who may have never truly rested in Jesus before. Not just a good night's sleep, but soul rest. He's inviting you to exchange the burden and give you rest. He wants to take your heavy burden of anxiety, of shame, mistrust, the weight of everything that you have ever done bad. And he offers you in exchange the easy and light burden of simply trusting him. He does all the work and he gives us all the rest. His work 
has fully addressed our sin problem, but he also provides the supply of every other need we will ever have in this life, especially sleep. And again, all we are required to do is trust him. Believe, abide, and follow in his steps. That is the light yoke that Jesus calls us to put on so we can have the best sleep ever. Jesus, we ask for this rest. We live in a world that is busy, that is tiring, that demands a lot. And it's not how you intended. From the very beginning, you intended for our souls to be at peace and to just rest in you and your provision. And we want that back. And so, Jesus, would you show us how to get that back? Would you speak to us on an individual level this morning about what we have to do to let go and trust you and rest in you? We ask for these things. We seek your glory in it. In Jesus' name, amen.